0: Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org.
1: Hey, listeners, welcome to this fall 2021 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words, part of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode 258, we visit with Stacy Hawks, author of Dividing Ridge, The Unsolved Murder of Elva Brannock, based on a true story of an unsolved crime that took place along the Blue Ridge Parkway in Allegheny County, North Carolina, in 1937. After a young woman goes missing on her way to school, a community is left on edge. With news spreading quickly of her disappearance and gossip swirling, it is up to local law enforcement to restore a sense of safety and one determined sheriff to bring justice to her family. Author Alison Klackowitz had this to say about the book. In the era of true crime fanaticism, Dividing Ridge is the perfect read. The author takes the reader on a poignant, well-studied and researched journey of a historic nonfiction mystery, all the while providing a respectful uh, accounting of a decades long loss to a family in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. Hawks masterfully keeps the memory of the victim, Elva Brannick alive. Excellent read. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a uh, recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, landiswade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. We've also got a community blog there. Uh, If you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, uh, we put out a book report every two weeks. It's free to sign up for, and uh, there's some free stuff you get when you sign up. You can check that out at the uh, podcast website. Uh, Hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. Speaking of free stuff, if you like audiobooks and you go to libro.fm, L I B R O.fm, and uh, sign up with uh, their audiobook service, uh, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and get a free audiobook. Last thing I want to tell you right quick before we jump into the episode is that we have what's called a Patreon channel, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. It's a place where our authors uh, and I do a deeper dive into the craft of writing and the business of writing, and uh, you can join us there and and support the podcast when you do for uh, as little as $5 a month or $8 if you tip. Uh, we put out a lot of content on that page, and uh, we've had a lot of fun doing it. I, I've certainly learned a lot about the craft and business of writing on our Patreon page, so join us uh, at Patreon or through our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough of this prologue, let's get to today's episode. Stacy, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having
1: me. Yeah, so how are things up in Allegheny County, North Carolina?
0: Cooling off and getting ready for fall.
1: there you go and by the time this comes out it'll be early november it'll be a little (laughs) bit cooler up there right yeah uh yeah and you're in the sparta area which is a pretty area of north carolina uh you know a lot of a lot of ways to get to the mountains from there um hey congratulations on the book by the way thank you let's do a little bit about you stacy before we dive into the book you know as i said you are a resident of allegheny county uh located in the blue ridge mountains a graduate of wilkes community college and hold a bachelor of arts history from Bavard college and uh an M.E.D. from Liberty University. And then I think you said that while attending Brevard, you focused on the creation of the Blue Ridge Parkway as well as its impact on your local community and surrounding Appalachia. And my question there is, did, did, do you think this focus that you did in college on the Parkway while at Brevard had something to do with your discovering this story and wanting to write about it?
0: I actually saw the story for the first time when I was in high school, and it was part of um, a scrapbook that my grandmother had, and I thought how unique, you know, the story was, and nobody had actually really told the story, I don't think, or learned anything further beyond the 1981 article that that she had written by Terry Martin. So, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, eventually it just sort of worked out to where all that all that studying on the Blue Ridge Parkway fell into this book, so... Mm-hmm.
1: That's great. In 2019, you were featured as an author and resident for Appalachian Memory Keepers. Uh, Tell us what that is and tell us about that.
0: So Kelly St. Germain is with um, AMK and you can find him on Facebook. He's actually... I'm doing a short film right now about GB Grayson and it's a really interesting film but he is in Ash County and he asked authors and his you know history lovers from all across North Carolina to provide Appalachian stories for his for his website so I was fortunate enough to be an author in residence for Kelly
1: yeah, that's great so you you provided him a story uh that uh, dividing Ridge the unsolved murder of Elva Brannock then you turned it into a book so that's that's pretty good. Hey, and you've got a second book uh, coming out probably about the time this uh, podcast comes out. Uh, let's pitch that too while we're at it. Uh, tell us the title and what it's about.
0: Absolutely, it's called Devil's Ridge, and it's about moonshine, fast cars, and it's loosely based on a true story that happened here in Allegheny County. Readers will be able to see some of the same characters from Dividing Ridge, like our MC Walter Irwin and um, his deputy Charlie Shepard, will also appear in the book, along with our newspaper editor. So it's going to be a great read looking forward to launching that.
1: So are both of these books set in the same time period?
0: The the, first, the Dividing Ridge book is set in 1937, and Devil's Ridge is set a few years earlier when Walter Irwin is actually a deputy. He's not quite sheriff yet, but he's considering it.
1: Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about the sheriff in a little bit, but uh, let me ask you this: since you're writing these books that involved uh, you know true crime, uh, what drew you to these stories of uh, murder? Are you a true crime fan?
0: I kind of do like true crime. I love <laughs> I love podcasts like um, Criminal with Phoebe Judge. So I listen to a lot of Phoebe Judge and Unsolved Mysteries too. Kind of grew up with that a little bit, um, and just just that genre alone kind of got to me a little bit, I think, when I was in college. So I read Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. I've read, you know, other different books from that genre. So that and history just sort of seemed to go along hand in hand pretty well. And I decided to try my hand at it.
1: Yeah. And it is a pretty fast growing genre, both in the book world and in the podcast world, this, uh, the, the topic of true crime. So you certainly, uh, you're writing about something that people are interested in reading, which is always a good thing for authors to do, right? To, to write about something that readers want to read, which is going to kind of lead into our book promotion thing. Did you have that in mind when you were thinking about what you wanted to write in terms of books that uh, you wanted to find a genre that uh, people might be interested in reading?
0: I mean, well, yeah, and, it, and I thought it interested me as well. It interested my community. It involved my community. It, it involved the place where, where I grew up. So I thought, why not? Why not include it and why not have them featured in the book as well?
1: So was this a story, Tracy, you said you're growing up uh, that you had heard about in high school Nobody had ever written a book about this It just sort of had gone through the oral histories and maybe some newspaper articles at the time. Is that how it developed?
0: Yeah, it it kind of went all over it went all over the United States. Um, Lowell Sun-Times carried it um, Just a bunch of different newspapers from across the country carried it There's actually a newspaper clipping in the book that shows a photo of Elvin her sister and um, that came from, I think, the Lumberton Bee. So there's like a bunch of different newspapers that carried it, but it never did go through an actual writing, or an actual book process, or nobody actually ever told the full story and got all the information and put it into a book.
1: Hmm, interesting. Well, before I dive further, let me tell our listeners that uh, you you have been involved in promoting books and helping others promote books. We're going to do on our Patreon channel uh, book promotion with Stacy Hawks. We're going to talk about marketing, including how to set, uh, pursue your goals related to promoting your book. That's at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. But let's talk, Tracy, for a minute about the what if for this book. You know, you think in terms of fiction books, uh, authors go around and they go, well, what if this happened and what if that happened and then what would happen? When you're writing a nonfiction book like this, um, you're also thinking about a what if, but in what way are you thinking about that?
0: It was. It started out being kind of a nonfiction book. It started out being a uh, research paper, really. I mean, I thought maybe I might could use it somehow, maybe for a PhD or something in the future. But it turned into this historical fiction story, and all and all the dialogue and everything's made up. But as I was reading the articles, I mean, I would just get little little glimpses of scenes that I would like to have appear in the book, and I made sure that those kind of played off the newspaper articles.
1: Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about separating fact from fiction before this is over. Before we do that, I want to circle back to Alison Klakowicz's review, where she says that you take the reader on a well-studied and researched journey of a historic nonfiction mystery, and you convert it into historical fiction. But let's talk about that research for a minute, and, and hey, what was involved? in that process. In other words, what sources did you have to search for? You know, were there witnesses from the time period or there's, you know, descendants? Tell us a little bit about how you went to getting as close as you could to the truth of this story.
0: So in the back of the book and throughout the book, readers can see footnotes, little little numbers there that, that go back to the end notes at the end of the book. And those are my sources, and those were actually pulled from real places and from real people. Yeah, I interviewed people from that time period. I had a, I was fortunate enough to have a lady who did an interview with me, and it is also featured in the book. And she talks about how things changed in the community there after this happened. Her mother had to lock her doors Um, Kids didn't really walk to school all that much after that. So it was kind of it was kind of a really big change for them. But, yeah, I mean, it was newspapers and our local library and our local um, Register of Deeds office and just a ton of different agencies. And without them, we couldn't I mean, I couldn't put this book together.
1: Hmm. When did you decide you wanted it to make uh, historical fiction as opposed to a more lengthy, you know, historical account of what happened?
0: I think as I started to write the book and started to get, you know, closer to the end of the book, and I was like, well, I've got to wrap this up somehow. And I want to do it in a way that's respectful, but also in a way that provides more information, maybe to the family or maybe even to readers. And and maybe they'll take an interest in the case and want to look at it a little closer. So just somewhere probably in the middle, I would say, just before I got to the toward the ends of the book.
1: Hmm. Interesting. All right. Let's uh, talk first impressions. Uh, you know, people pick up a book cover, they look at it. Uh, we got a title on the cover, dividing Ridge. Um, that's the main title of the book. Where does that, uh, Title Come from?
0: Dividing Ridge is the school that Elva Brannock attended. That's the name of the school. There's one picture available at the Allegheny Historical Genealogical Society of the school taken in the 1920s, I believe. Jeff Halsey there can probably tell you a little bit more about that. But um, the cover itself is actually taken at Devil's Garden on the Blue Ridge Parkway here in Allegheny County. So it's a real place you can actually go visit. The photo doesn't do it justice, I don't think, but you know. <laughs>
1: Well, I've seen, you know, being, having a place up in the Blue Ridge Mountains near Boone, you know, we go up on the parkway and and I looked at this photo and I thought that is, you're up on the parkway, you're looking down below and it's got that blue tint, like you see uh, with a little bit of uh, orange as if, you know, the sun is setting, you know, in the distance. So um, I, I could see it's the parkway, but I'm intrigued by this. You said Devil's what is where this picture was taken?
0: Devil's Garden. And it's called that because of all the snakes.
1: That are around. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I don't want to stand there when I take <laughs> no. my next photo. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> not a big fan of that. Um, and the subtitle of the book is The Unsolved Murder of Elva Brannick. Um, now, when you set out, uh, Stacy, on this journey to write this book, uh, whether it be nonfiction and turned into historical fiction, did you hope to be able to perhaps uh, be a modern day sleuth and solve this mystery?
0: Yeah, I did. I was like, yeah, I, I think I think I can do it if you have all this all this information from newspaper clippings and you have all these eyewitness accounts and people started coming forward and started telling me things. And I was like, you know, if, it, I wonder how many people came forward back then and told um, the sheriff anything. But I'm, I'm sure he got plenty of tips, too, because he arrested a number of people in this case. Um, but well, he didn't really arrest, but he detained them um, for questioning. But no one was ever formally arrested for the murder of Elva Brannock. But yeah, I hope to. I hope to at least shine some light on it. Maybe even, you know, get people interested, as I said, and maybe they take it up.
1: Yeah, and we're going to talk about some of your theories before we're done here. But why do you think the mystery uh, has been you know, unsolved for so long? I mean, you can have some theories, but again, there's no certainty as to what happened, right?
0: Right. I, I think one of the reasons is, you know, it was done in the 1930s. And back then, you know, they didn't have access to things that we have access to now in in terms of solving murders and solving crimes like DNA testing. And, you know, they had fingerprinting, but that was a really, you know, that was a really hard science. You had to take your fingerprint and and you put it down the paper and they'd send it off to somebody and they'd have to sit there and look through pictures of every individual fingerprint. They didn't have CODIS. They didn't have a system Mm -hmm. to automatically read and say, this is the person connected with that fingerprint. It
1: was all done by eye. Yeah, it's hard to believe in this day with CSI on television and you know criminals getting apprehended with DNA testing just like that. That uh, you know why can't they just do that in some of these murders that happened? In the, but they didn't have that technology back then, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, look, we we do this thing on Charlotte's podcast, you know, where authors give voice to the written words, and we're going to start at a at a good place in your book. You're going to start reading from the from the very beginning, and then you're going to drop in a little bit. Uh, you know, a few, few further pages in. So uh, I think you're starting with the chapter that is titled The Awfulest Thing. So, uh, Stacy, whenever you're ready, uh, you just take it away. Founded in
0: 1859, Allegheny County is located in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. The name Allegheny itself is a Native American term meaning good river. One of the county's most valued natural assets is the Scenic Motor Parkway that became a grand attraction better known as the Blue Ridge Parkway. Although the New Deal changed the landscape of not just our country, but of the Blue Ridge Mountains, nothing has changed for Elva Brannock. She is still gone and still waiting for justice. The local brunette beauty who met the end of her life too soon still remains a complete tragic mystery whose case is cold but not forgotten. That's the awfulest thing that's ever happened in this county, R.D. McGrady, a local scenic parkway worker, explained to Winston-Salem Journal reporter Terry Martin in 1981. Elva E. Branick, born May 20, 1920, lived in a small, close-knit community of Saddle Mountain. Her parents, Jefferson Branick and Vicey E. Branick, made a living, like most others, by their family farm. At 16, Elva was a student in the seventh grade at the Dividing Ridge School, located two miles from her home. She, along with several other children in those days, walked each morning to their classes. Elva left her home around 7 a.m. with her books in hand and an old tin lunch pail. Lola Billings Anders, Elva's teacher, would later report that Elba never made it to school on Monday, February 8th, 1937. R.D. and the man lined up according to the sheriff and deputy's instructions. Within minutes, all 200 of them proceeded to walk, calling for Elba. Once in a while, McGrady would allow silence to fall over his route to listen for her voice. After feeling as though he had walked several miles, R.D. looked at his watch and realized it was 10 minutes to 10 o'clock. Proceeding through the field, the damp morning grass making the bottoms of his pants legs wet, The same feeling that had hit him earlier, that strange, unexplained feeling of loss and sudden detachment, was returning in waves. He halted and looked around the woods. There were volunteers either slightly ahead or just slightly behind him on all sides. One young man, R.D., did not recognize a volunteer, proceeded to call for Elva to his left. McGrady looked ahead and noticed a dip in the woods. The embankment was not deep, but it was shallow enough for someone to have slipped and fallen by accident. Following his instincts, he walked over and slowly went down the embankment, where he spotted a stack of schoolbooks. His heart raced. He felt the need to call out, but lingered for a moment, trying to collect his emotions. Was it her? Taking a few more steps, McGrady began to make out a body. Clothed, lying on her left side in the cold earth, with snow and frost lightly dusted across her dark hair. McGrady knew immediately it was Elba. There was no sign of blood or immediate trauma, but it was clear that sixteen-year-old Elva Brannick was no longer alive.
1: Okay, and this was a uh, this was in a community at the time, Stacy, where um, you know doors weren't locked, people walked to school miles to school. It was a close-knit uh, community. There really wasn't much crime, right?
0: Right. This is the fir- I think this is one of the first murders in Allegheny County,
1: hmm. if and, not the first. Yeah, and, and let's talk a minute about the uh, the victim. Tell us a little bit about Elva Brannock uh, and the school that she was going to attend.
0: She was just two miles from her home, and um, Allegheny County had a number of schools back then. Dividing Ridge was just one of them. It was a one-room school. Lola Billings-Anders was the teacher there, and Elva was, she was in seventh grade, which was kind of like high school back then. You were already done and graduating. You went on to Glade Valley School if you wanted to further your education here in the county. So she was, she was 17 years old and all the newspapers kind of described her as a tall brunette beauty. And she was just a sweet person and had a lot of, had a lot of friends and family and people that walked to school with her. I talked to one lady whose, I think her daughter walked her, walked with her to school and knew her. And then I recently had a meeting with a lady, her name is Nestor, um, here in Allegheny County, who provided me with um, some more information as far as the case goes and provided me with some of these newspaper clippings that. I would not have otherwise have had. So I think it was Jefferson's niece and she was Elva's first cousin and that's how they, they knew each other.
1: Hmm. So who would you consider to be the protagonist in this uh, retelling of this story? Was it, was it the sheriff? Was it the family? Uh, who, who is sort of the, you know, from your perspective, who do you think the protagonist is? Of course, Elva's a victim in the case and she's speaking, you know, from, uh, beyond the grave, here to some extent in the story, but what what about the the people that are actively trying to pursue her her killer?
0: I mean, I looked at Walter Irwin as my MC. He was my main focus. I wanted I wanted everyone to know what all he did and how active he was in the investigation and trying to locate who might have been responsible for this. I also think the family was was set up as a protagonist because they too were looking for answers, and um, they too depended on law enforcement to help them to get those answers. Hmm.
1: And you can't have a good protagonist without uh, a strong antagonist. So now we're going to talk suspects here. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, we got, uh, you know, at the time she walks to school that morning, from what I recall in reading the book, uh, they're working on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Cause it's that time, uh, I guess it's during the time of the new deal. And they got people out building the parkway and they got a bunch of construction crews out there. And apparently two men were waiting on a ride to go to work, to work on the, those two men were were seen as suspects, correct?
0: Correct. Yeah. So there was a lot of different suspects um, throughout this investigation. Those two gentlemen were one. Uh, A lot of newspapers speculated that maybe, maybe it was moonshiners because they thought there was a moonshine still within view of the school, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. But uh, (laughs) anyway, there was that. And then there was also rumors that she had someone that she really liked or that really liked her and thought, well, you know, if I can't have you, nobody else will. And You know, it was
1: somebody that she knew. Yeah. So how many suspects did they end up uh, putting on the list? We have the moonshiner theory. We have the men on the parkway, uh, they didn't have the DNA testing, so they couldn't pin it to anyone in particular. I think there might have been a murder in another county or something that uh, they kind of looked into, but that didn't pan out. So did they have many suspects or was just kind of a cold trail?
0: There was a lot of suspects. A lot of people were brought in, just questioned and talked to. And, and one, one thing that I, I will say is that when readers read the book, they'll find out that this case ties very closely to another case here that happened in the county. So it's really interesting to see the similarities in those cases.
1: Well, I can't not ask the question then. What's the other case?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was uh, it was the Frank Murphy case. Frank Murphy um, was charged with murdering his wife here in Allegheny County, and he placed her body in the same exact location of Elva Brannock's body, which, you know, of course, triggered law enforcement to want to question him. There is no information as far as to what was said or if, you know, or what he might have told the sheriff at that time, which was Frank Rupp some years later. This was like in the 60s.
1: So, you know, what kind of sick individual? Well, first of all, he's killed his wife. That's one thing. But then he places the body. He must have known the story and he must have been looking for somebody to make that connection, right?
0: I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, there's no more information beyond that. It was, it was a newspaper article and, and that's all I'm going to say about it. But, you know, I mean, I'm not really I'm not really 100 percent sure myself. So it's it was right. just interesting yeah. to see the, com, the common, you know, the similarities and all that.
1: All right. So, for people that are kind of looking for this part of the country, where precisely on the Blue Ridge Parkway uh, did this happen?
0: It's in the Saddle Mountain community. So, Saddle Mountain is like towards Galax, Virginia. So, if you're, you're, you're we're on the border anyway, Allegheny's on the border of Galax and um, Grayson County. So, it's kind of on that end.
1: So, Stacy, there's an interesting quote in the book where the sheriff is uh, quoted by a local newspaper after doing an exhaustive investigation. And he's quoted as saying, there's nothing new in the Brannock case. So a bit more about that. I mean, there's still nothing new in the Brannock I mean, you, you provided some theories here, but the, the, they weren't able to solve them. How long did the investigation go on? Is it still, is it considered a cold case even today?
0: It is considered a cold case even today. It went through 10 sheriff's administrations. The last sheriff to have it was Sheriff Joe Roberts, and Joe Roberts really went at it hard. Like, he really wanted to solve this case, and there was a few people, like I said, that came forward and talked to me about it, and were like, hey, you know, kind of think I know who did this, and and we can kind of talk to you about it. So they have offered me some theories on it. Someone said that someone confessed on their deathbed at one point or another, but whether or not that's true is a whole other, you know, because it's kind of like it's hearsay. It's just he said, she said. Mm
1: What, what is the strongest theory I mean, that, that law enforcement is going on as to what happened in this case?
0: I think they were really trying to look at it as a probably a moonshine issue. But at the same time, with these, with these men coming in from the Civilian Conservation Corps working on the Blue Ridge Parkway, those people could just pick up and leave and just disappear. I mean, so they also looked at that really hard, too.
1: Yeah, it was wrong place, wrong time. Right. I mean, she was walking, probably came across somebody if it was a moonshine still. Of course, everybody knew there were moonshiners up there in the mountains. Right. I mean, it's not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just where she was walking. And, and, you know, most people know their route. They know their route to school or they know their route to work. So I don't think that she would deviate from that. And the gentleman's accounts from the newspapers were like, well, we were standing there. We've seen her walk by and when we turned around, she was just gone. So they couldn't Mm -hmm. figure out, you know. <laughs> where she went to but that that's i you know that's part of the whole mystery of the book and the story no.
1: Now, is this, is uh, you've written this book, you know, we don't have a conclusive outcome to the story, which is kind of interesting. It's kind of a cliffhanger there a little bit because people can draw their own conclusions, perhaps, as to what happened. Uh, is this a nagging thing to you? Are you still going to be looking into this as you continue to write?
0: I mean, I'm open to people that want to send messages or want to talk to me about the book and that want to, uh, you know, offer up their own theories or maybe if they knew somebody that was connected somehow or you know just live back then and want to talk about the story that's fine too um but yeah i mean it, it'll continue to nag me i guess until i find answers so i still once in a while i'll pick it back up and i'll be like yeah i need to look more into that that <laughs> source or, or try to yeah. look at this page Yeah.
1: well let's talk uh and the time we have left a little bit about uh, your writing life uh before i mentioned writing you like me are a podcaster you've got a podcast uh, called the writing wall podcast tell our listeners about that
0: So the Writing Wall podcast airs every second and fourth Saturday of the month at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on multiple platforms. You can follow us on Twitter at The Writing Wall or on Instagram at WritingsOnTheWall85. And you can visit our website from our link tree URL that are on those on the social media pages. We feature indie writers and writers especially from North Carolina.
1: When you're podcasting, I'm just curious: Are you doing it live, Stacy, or do you do any editing ahead of time? We
0: we do pre recording. I have um I have a manager and I have some volunteers that assist me with the editing and okay. the formatting of the podcast. So all
1: right, so you're not flying by the you know just no <laughs> make, make it out there. Okay, all right, that's fine. Well, that's okay. You can do it both ways. Um, well, that's that, that's great for you. Have you found uh, doing a podcast has been you know, an enjoyable experience for you as an author and also, uh, helped you as an author yourself.
0: It really has. And it, it's also opened me up to a lot of other great books that are out there like, um, Clack's Clark's kids book. We, we got to read that for our Allegheny story time. Um, and you know, just, just, just great authors and just being able to promote them and help them to promote a little bit too. So yeah, it's been a really great experience.
1: Yeah, I, I chose. Uh, you gave me several reviews, or I picked up several reviews. I chose hers because Allison was on this podcast at one time. We featured her book uh, on this as well, and I and uh, I appeared on her podcast. She's got a podcast as well. Everybody's got a podcast. Everybody's yeah. got a podcast. Right, you know? <laughs> why, why not, right? right. We'll be talk, we'll be talking book marketing. That's one thing you can do. You know, get <laughs> a podcast. But uh, as to writing, um, why did you want to become um, a writer that writes books?
0: Well, I mean, I I think I've always just loved to write. I've always loved to read. And my writing was really mainly poetry. It was not really novels or anything like that. It wasn't probably until after I got in college that I realized, you know, hey, I can come up with a pretty decent plot and I can come up with a pretty decent story and maybe turn it into something. And then with Elva Brannick and her story that just... It just sort of really kicked off after all that research I did on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And I thought, hey, that would be great to incorporate that into a book and into a story and be able to share it with other people.
1: Do you enjoy the research process uh, uh, for these true crime stories?
0: Yeah, probably too much. Like I'll I'll linger in research for like a year (laughs) (laughs) before I come out. (laughs)
1: <laughs> With book. Like, do you use any special uh, software? Do you do, or pretty much do it by hand? And- I
0: pretty much do it by Microsoft Word. And like, I'll make notes. I have notebooks. I told Allison Clack on one of her podcasts that I was like, man, I, I had this old notebook and I wore that thing out. And it's true, like it was falling apart by the time I got done. And I, I know it's in here somewhere, it's stashed in some Tupperware, but um, but I used it for the Branick stuff. And I would just write, I would just write out little sketches of scenes. And then I'd come home late at night from work and I would just sit down and I'd just type them out.
1: That's great. So um, this question I ask, uh, you, you're into your second book now. Well, first of all, are you think you're going to like branch out and do kind of some mysteries uh, as well as opposed to historical fiction? or Are you going to kind of stick with this genre for a while?
0: I think I may branch out eventually. I, I do have poetry available. I have three mm-hmm. poetry collections now. I'm working on my fourth. Um, so yeah, I mean everything is everything is shifting and changing. And if I run into another great newspaper article or it kind of inspires me to write about something, I'll definitely take that on too. So.
1: And we know people don't get rich uh, writing. So uh, what's what's the day job look like? You
0: know? The day job is I am uh, I'm a genealogist, so I'm an air tracer. I trace people's uh, lineages for them, and and also work for realty offices and things like that. So it's an interesting well, job, and I love it. I people hunt is what I call it. <laughs>
1: Well, that's a perfect uh, tie into what you're doing with historical uh, fiction uh, here with uh, these true crime stories. All right, one last question. Um, You've now gotten your second book that's coming out. Um, If you could tell that uh, younger writer something before you wrote your first book, something helpful, based on what you've learned through these two-book experience, what would it be?
0: It would be edit, edit, and re-edit. Get beta readers, make sure that you format your book well, hire someone if you must be active on social media, build your presence, build your brand and don't expect overnight success. Like you said, and just be supportive of your brand and other authors too, along the way that help you.
1: Yeah, that's very valuable information uh, uh, for anyone who's thinking about writing. It's a long game. It's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Uh, Right. uh, Stay with it. Uh, We're going to have fun. And we're going to jump over in just a second to Patreon. At patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Ridge podcast. We're going to talk about book promotion. Uh, Stacy's got some experience with that. We're going to pick her brain about how to do that. Uh, it's always helpful to get that information. So check us out there. Stacy, it's been a pleasure uh, having you on Charlotte Ridges podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. And I hope everyone enjoys the rest of the season.
1: Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.
0: Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to Queen City